0: Hey, what's up everybody? Welcome to the Hot Shot Wake Up. This is your weekly Wildfire Update on Friday. Don't miss our Wednesday shows on Substack for our midweek brief where we cover all the other news happening in wildfires around the world. Today we have all sorts of topics to discuss. There's a new bill in Congress that has tacked on the Tim Hart Pay Act. And there's all sorts of other stuff inside of that bill. It's H.R. 5118. And it was introduced into the House of Representatives. Next, it'll make its way to the Senate. And then if stuff isn't added to an extreme amount where they have to repass the bill in the House, it will go to the president's desk to see if this will be passed into law. We'll cover the major points of what's going on with that bill. We're going to talk about the aviation tragedies that have taken place over the course of the last week. Down in New Mexico, there was a helicopter crash. It was a sheriff's department helicopter that was uh, helping out on a fire down there and has tragically crashed. There was four lives lost in that incident. We'll go over what exactly happened down there and discuss the findings that have come out of that so far we have some things to discuss about the washburn fire out in yosemite and the sequoias and other topics along the way but first we have to discuss what's going on in the nation and around the world with the wildfire operations it's been a busy place here on planet earth for wildfires lately over in europe there's some major fires happening there the uk has seen some increased activity slovenia had a huge fire just today it's quite amazing to see the footage and images coming out of that it's just old slovenian castles with large pyrocumulus clouds behind them and even over in ireland we are seeing some wildfire activity there with some extreme fire behavior showing itself late into the evening but first the united states nationally we are at a preparedness level three Over the last 24 hours, the United States has seen 133 new fires in the last 24 hours. There are 29 uncontained large fires in the United States, and 99 fires are being managed for resource benefit. This, again, has increased since last week. Canada has been seeing some activity. British Columbia was busy for a little while. They had some more favorable weather come in. Now Alberta is starting to see some extreme fire activity and other territories and provinces are sending people to Alberta. Starting in the Great Basin, Region 4, it's at a preparedness level 3 there. And the big fire this week took place near Salmon, Idaho, and that is the Moose Fire, burning in very, very rugged ground. It's 20,648 acres at this point in time a great basin type one team has taken over that fire they ordered a lot of folks there's 517 firefighters currently working that fire and right now the cause of that fire is undetermined locals believe that it was from some campsite is what i'm hearing but fire investigators are still working on making sure that that determination is rock solid This fire continues to burn very, very actively. It's spotting in front of itself. It's making uphill runs. Crown fire through the tops of the trees is being seen. And just yesterday, the column topped out at 24,000 feet. I got an image sent to me from an air attack that was circling the fire and passed along that information and a great aerial view of what was going on. And clearly this fire still has a life of its own now even though this fire is in the infancy stages of its incident command system there's a lot getting done on division alpha and foxtrot they are chunking in direct line and they also have found some indirect areas where they are trying to get an anchor on this thing the other divisions on the fire are continuing to scout indirect line and contingency areas where they can start implementing line construction and maybe burn out to create more containment further out and this is as we know in the industry it's called building a box and it sounds like they are building a big box for this fire one of the bigger issues with this fire is it is on both sides of the salmon river if you've ever fought fire up in the salmon chalice there's a few things you know it's very very steep And very, very rugged ground. And you're dealing with the Salmon River. This isn't some little trickle down the mountain creek. This is a legit river. And if you need to get resources, people, supplies to the other side of the river, that involves a lot of logistics. You need boats, you need helicopters, you need shuttles, you need all of these things just to get to the other side of the river to fight these fires. Now that it's on both sides of the rivers, it just adds much more complexity to the logistical side and operational side of trying to get a handle on this moose fire up near Salmon, Idaho. Current cost on that fire is a half a million dollars, but with a type one team now in place, I see that increasing drastically over the next few weeks because this will be a longer duration fire. Also in the area is the Wood Tick Fire. This is a small wilderness fire that's kind of the neighbor to the Moose Fire. This has been burning for a couple days now. It's, like I said, it's out in the wilderness. They've been kind of monitoring this thing from the air. They have a couple crews that they're trying to insert, but again, with these wilderness fires, there's some logistical issues. They have Panhandle Hot Shots and Bitterroot Hot Shots, kind of analyzing it and seeing what they're going to do with this thing. There seems to not be a lot of great spots to insert crews. If something does go wrong when you're out there, you're in the middle of nowhere, and logistically, again, this becomes a big, big issue when you're trying to do something like a medevac or anything you would possibly need just becomes much, much harder when you're out in these remote areas. So they're assessing a plan and what they're going to do with that fire. And Idaho basically got very, very busy and a huge influx of folks came in just in the last 48 to 72 hours. Another area that has had a massive influx of resources is Texas. The southern area is at a planning level three. Texas kind of exploded two days ago. They had a massive heat wave come through. We were seeing temperatures of 116 degrees during the heat of the day. And this was a wide swath across the entire Lone Star State. Texas alone had 21 new fires in the last 24 hours. And it seems like any new start wants to go big once it gets established in that 10, 15, 20 acre mark. It seems like these things just want to take off. Texas pulled in a bunch of Region 3 hotshot crews. They all loaded up and headed that way. I believe most of them have finished their drive and are trying to sort out what's going on, where are our assignments, and they are getting put in place by the fire managers in that state. A bunch of northern engines went down from Wisconsin, Minnesota. The Dakotas made their way down there. And a bunch of Region 8 heavy equipment has also poured into the state. A bunch of dozers is kind of the tactic that Texas has. It's a lot of ranch land, as you can imagine. We've discussed this before. It's a state with a ton of private land. There's not a lot of federal land down there. There's even not a lot of state land. And you just drop a couple blades and you push trying to build uh, flanks and anchors to get around these things there was the chalk mountain fire down in texas this thing is still going it ripped 6700 acres in a very short period of time they ordered a type one team to this fire there is 127 people currently they have found an anchor for this fire they're calling it 10 percent contained and crews are continuing to build line and do structure prep on this The major value at risk here is obviously property, uh, personal property, homes, but there is also a large energy infrastructure in place where this fire broke out, and that is a big concern. If you've been paying attention to the daily news, the cost of energy has skyrocketed, and if you have something like the Chalk Mountain Fire taking out a vast amount of energy infrastructure, you can only imagine... The problems that would cause also in texas is the 1148 fire this was the fire everybody was kind of posting about there was extreme fire activity it was burning near uh the possum kingdom lake community very very fast moving juniper and grass fire it ripped 500 acres in just hours they did lose 10 homes to this or 10 structures But they have gotten a handle on it. They're starting to wrap around this thing. And this was the priority fire for a short period of time in Texas just this week. For this 500-acre fire, you can tell how important structure protection was for this fire. There are 658 people on this 500-acre fire. Now, this fire is managed by the Southern Area Blue Team. And they're the same team that is managing the Chalk Mountain Fire as well. Moving across the country, we come to Southern California. They are at a preparedness level 2, and the major fire there is the Washburn Fire, which is burning in Yosemite National Park, near where all of the giant sequoias are. This fire is 4,856 acres, but they've gotten a handle on this fire as well. There were some burnout operations that took place to kind of sure up some ridge lines And they've started mop up on parts of the fire and the parts of the fire that used to be very, very active have been reduced to a smoldering and creeping type fire activity. There was a lot of concern across the nation for the grove of sequoias that was there. But a lot of hard work was put in by aviation and folks on the ground. And that fire will soon come to a close. There are 1,300 people on this incident And the current cost of suppression for this fire sits at $24 million. Believe it or not, there's still some fires down in the southwest. Even after the monsoons, they are catching some fires. They have bumped down to a preparedness level two, but some fires burning in that area. The committee fire is burning outside of Sedona, Arizona. They have the Mormon Lake hotshots and the Flagstaff hotshots on that fire. It's 281 acres, 114 people, and it is in what I would call goat country. Extremely steep rocks. If you've seen the red rocks outside of Sedona, you can kind of get a picture of where these folks are working and hiking around in. Very, very rugged ground, very rough terrain to be working in, but they are getting it done. Forward progression on that fire has basically been stopped and they are working on getting this fire put out. The total cost of that fire is $1.2 million. South Dakota decided to pop off a little bit this week. They had a 7,000-acre fire up in the Dakotas. That fire was called the Casino Fire. This was a wind-driven grass fire that, again, took off went thousands of acres in a short period of time, and then once nighttime came and the relative humidity came up during the night, the fire activity slowed down drastically. Wyoming has been having some fires. A couple IAs here, a couple IAs there. They do have red flags in effect for the last couple days, and I believe going into the future they have red flags as well. So folks out in Wyoming, keep a heads up. It seems like activity might increase there. If you can't tell, it's been very, very busy in the country. We're almost done. We got to talk about Montana. They had the Moores Mountain Fire three, four days ago, I believe. This is outside of Helena, Montana. And initially, when I was sent footage from Hell Attack, when they were flying the original size up of this incident, it was extreme fire activity in a wilderness area just outside of Helena. They decided, hey, we need a bunch of jumpers up here. It seemed like kind of a great jump spot. It was at the top of a ridge. There was kind of an open meadow up there. But by the time the jump planes got over, only about half the jumpers made it out. And then a storm front came in and they called off the rest of that jump operation due to weather and winds. However, the folks that landed were able to put in a bunch of work and they kind of wrestled this thing and kept it from getting any bigger in this wilderness area. There was plenty of fuel out there for this to go big, but they got on it quick. Aviation came in and helped out, and now they're at a point to where the fire has stopped growing, and they are trying to get 100% containment on this thing. Missoula, Montana has popped a couple fires. Helena actually popped a new fire today. I don't know much about it, but It was on the North Valley of Helena, Montana, someone sent me. So this seems to be kind of a hot spot right now. And also in that area, Region 1, in the Bitterroot National Forest, there's a fire called the Hog Trough Fire. Looks like a fun little fire to go hang out at. It's, It's another way out there fire in the pines. They have decided to manage this incident, and it is one of the 99 fires in the nation being managed. Now, before... Region 6 says, you forgot about us, I have not. Lastly, but not leastly, the Stamen Fire in Oregon popped off a day or two ago, 1,200 acres in a very, very short period of time. They threw the world at it, engines, aviation, and they were able to get this grass fire put out. They have red flag warnings today, and things are drying out very, very quickly southern idaho the twin falls district is seeing some new ias and more ias as the days go on it's going to be very very busy going into august people this much is very very clear so just make sure you get your mind right if you're the one on the ground who's putting these things out and if you're part of the public just remember to bear with the fire managers and the folks on the ground we're literally fighting monsters out there these things rip miles per day and if you don't know i'll let you know the forest service has lost 40 plus percent of its workforce in the last two and a half years so there's staffing issues and we're doing as much as we can and the best we can priorities are going to be around communities obviously and these further out fires that are in the wilderness and off the beaten path are more likely to be managed on that note One more, in the Grand Canyon, there's the Dragon Fire. This looks like a great little fire to hang out on. Just kind of burning and creeping in the understory. It's in the Grand Canyon National Park. I mean, you can't beat it. And they're deciding to go big box with this thing or potentially go big box with this thing. And even though the fire is not that large, under a 1,000 acres, they are thinking about building a 10,000-acre box and managing this thing as the summer goes on. It sounds like a great, great gig if you're working in that park. That's the operational update. This is the time that we thank our sponsors, and those sponsors are you listeners. We are 100% ad free, and everything we do, all the content, the updates, the articles, the multiple podcasts per week. If you're listening to this Friday show, we have a Wednesday show as well on our Substack for paid subscribers. We have workouts that we give out for the paid subscribers. And then those subscriptions go towards firefighters and their families in need and firefighters who have been injured on the job. There's a lot of GoFundMe's out there, and we put that money towards that. Just this week, we helped out a Redmond smoke jumper who used to work on the Wyoming Hotshots. He fell into a very large ash pit up in Alaska. And when he was trying to climb out of this ash pit, completely burned his hands, and now he's a hurting unit. It's not good. So we helped him out this week. These are just the types of things that we do with those subscriptions. And again, our only sponsors that we have are you, the listeners. If you want to help out with that and want to join that community, just go to the Hotshot Wake Up Substack. click on the subscribe button. It's $6 only, and you can be a part of helping out and keeping the content coming that we put out on a daily and weekly basis. So thanks again to all of you out there. We really appreciate it and we couldn't do it without you. Now we'll move on to the news.
1: I have traveled this year over all the United States. Through the Alleghenies, the White Mountains and the Catskills. The Rockies and the Bitterroot Mountains. The Cascade, the Coast Range,
0: Just yesterday, there was a new bill introduced into the House of Representatives. This bill is H.R. 5118 and is called the Wildfire Response and Drought Resiliency Act. Now, we put out an article on our Substack when this first happened, discussing just briefly what is taking place in this bill and where this thing will probably go over the next couple months. There is an election this year, and usually when there's an election post-election, there's kind of a lame duck session of Congress, or if it's a presidential election, they say it's a lame duck president for those months of the transition that's happening. That's taking place in November, but there seems to be a lot of push behind this bill. The president is claiming that climate change is now an emergency, not only worldwide, but in the United States. And they're looking for things to fill this agenda with, one being this bill. So there is some promise that what's in this bill will actually go through and become law. I would say most importantly in this bill is Section one So the very top of this bill, even though it's for drought and water reclamation and all of these things, the Tim Hart pay provision in the Tim Hart Act is section one of this bill. Huge, huge news. Basically, what that does is it resets the pay scale to where as an entry level firefighter, no one gets paid under a GS6 step three And even though that's the case, there would be a committee formed or some sort of investigation panel that would have to conduct an audit and see if wildland firefighters are being fairly paid, if that rate is fair, if it's unfair, what rate should be paid, and they will look across other fire departments, state and local levels to see what they're paying their people. And if there seems to be something that's off kilter, they will try to correct that. Like I said in the article on our substack, this is a large bill. There's a lot in it. There is lots of money going towards riparian restoration, water restoration, dam work, because it's a drought bill. But there's a lot in it for wildland fire as well. Another thing that is in this bill is kind of a remake or a re-edit of what hazard pay is. Now, I don't know how you folks out there who fill out CTRs feel about this, but I'm sure you've noticed that over the last few years, when it comes to claiming hazard pay on an incident, they've become much, much more particular about how you go about doing that. You can no longer just say working uncontrolled fire line when you write that down in the comments on the bottom of your crew time report or CTR. There's even incidents that will just straight up in briefing be like, this is exactly the wording we want in your comment box for hazard pay. There's one finance gal out there who kept a CTR that I turned in years ago where when it asked for hazards, I just put, I wrote everything. I wrote falling boulders, falling trees, uncontrolled wildfire, snakes, spiders, scorpions, aircraft, chainsaws, and it was an incredible list. And days later, I went back in the finance office and this thing was pinned up on the board because they thought it was great. But it takes time to write all that out. My point being, you've probably seen kind of not a really a crackdown, but more of like a a tightening of what they want To claim hazard pay this bill hr 5118 redoes that a little bit it says that anyone who is cutting hazard trees anyone who is doing prescribed fire anyone who is using a parachute at any time and a number of other things that they've put into this bill they say you can now claim hazard pay for now the average listener who hasn't worked a lot of wildfire might not know that wildland firefighters don't get hazard pay for prescribed fire. Sometimes you get overtime, sometimes you don't. And this is, they're straight up fires. You're in the woods and the woods are on fire. There's trees coming down around you. And the government says, hey, it's a a controlled burn, so you don't get any hazard pay for this. This bill would change that. Now, there is one kind of asterisk or there is a caveat to all of this, and that in the bottom of this section, there's a subsection that says fire managers or agency heads can kind of, if this all passes, they can kind of pick and choose still if they want to give that out. I see that as a problem. You would hope that language would be removed. I understand why they put it in there. It's kind of just a fail-safe cost savings mechanism. So if there is needs to be some cost savings, but you still need to do a burn at the end of the year, but there's not a lot of funds left in your district, you just say, hey, well, we're not going to get paid hazard for this one. But if it does pass... I see that as a huge step in the right direction when it comes to being adequately compensated for the work that you're doing. Another thing that stood out in this bill was the time off that they added to it and how that seems to work from reading this bill is every federal wildland firefighter would be given seven days of time off it seems to be paid i didn't see anywhere where it said it would be unpaid so seven days paid off and they would be considered mental health days and this wouldn't be taken out of your vacation time or your sick leave this would be another set of time off or hours gained to take off specifically for your mental health days and it seems like you would just go to your supervisor and say, hey, I'm taking a mental health day and take some time off. There was an agency that I worked for years ago that this was a thing. It wasn't policy and it wasn't written down anywhere in the in the place that I worked. But there would be the season would end, and a lot of us supervisors who were now in the office and the gear's been stowed and the trucks have been winterized and the chainsaws have been winterized and now it's we're creeping into late November, early December, and you have kind of a dead area. It's mind-numbing, and it's depressing to sit under the fluorescent lights of an office at your desk, taking care of some old fire bills and some other things that you have to do if you're a supervisor. After being in the woods and around fire and sleeping on the ground underneath the stars for the last six or seven months, it's a horrible transition back into the office. I'm sure a lot of you have felt this as well. And where I worked, we would all just be like, yo, I need, I'm taking a day off and you would call it a mental health day and we would charge sick, sick leave, if you don't know what that is, we just call it sick. But this was tremendous that our supervisors allowed us to do this and just to charge it as sick leave. But this is a whole new section. You wouldn't have to take it out of your sick leave. You wouldn't have to take it out of your vacation pay. A lot of things in this bill. The National Federation of Federal Employees have been pushing hard for stuff like this. Grassroots firefighters, they have been pushing hard for this. And it's great to see more sponsors start to come to these bills. For a while, it kind of had been, you know, a couple junior senators, a couple junior representatives, maybe one or two bigger ones out of Wyoming, if I remember correctly, had signed on to these things. But the big thing is they got this into kind of an environmental bill. And it's an environmental bill that was introduced into Congress right when the president of the United States said, hey, we need to do something about all this stuff. It's starting to look more and more like we can see the finish line. If we, if this is a marathon, which it's felt like over the years, we might be on mile 20. You know, there's a couple more water stations where we can grab a glass of water and Gatorade. We've already just gone to the bathroom in our running shorts because we've ran 20 miles. People are cheering us on, but it's deafening and deadening sound, more like white noise, because we're just wondering where the finish line is. And someone in the crowd screams out mile 20. So we're getting closer. And that's very promising. And as a lot of you know who've been listening and reading for a while now, I was a big, big skeptic. I know a lot of you are as well because you reach out to me on a daily basis. You know, believe it when I see it. Believe it when I see it. That's what I hear all the time. Well, I'm starting to believe because I'm starting to see. That's the point here. As we move on, reach out to your representatives. Tell them to back H.R. five one 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 eight. And if you don't Agree with what the bill is, reach out to your representatives and tell them to support at least the wildfire portions of this bill. Like I said, there's a lot in this bill. A lot will probably get taken out. A lot of pork will probably get put in. But now we will see if Congress takes action before the election, which quite honestly is right around the corner, campaigns are well underway, or if this is going to get pushed into the lame duck session into 2023. And we'll kind of start over at that point in time. My fingers are crossed. I'm becoming more hopeful. And soon enough, we'll be past mile 20. We'll be at mile 24, 25. And then we will see the finish line. And we just have to get through it, even if we collapse and have to crawl. So I'll keep everybody updated on what's going to happen with that. And just know that it's not dead in the water, people. It's not. There's progress being made. There's a lot of people behind the scenes pushing for this stuff. And probably in a few months, we'll have a lot more questions answered.
1: I have traveled this year over all the United States. Through the Alleghenies, the White Mountains, and the Catskills. The Rockies and the Bitterroot Mountains. The Cascades, the Coast Range.
0: And the I have traveled, traveled, traveled. Now, before we get into this next segment, which was going to be on all of these aviation crashes that have been taking place over the last week the one in Portugal, the one in Greece, the one in New Mexico. I've already recorded that segment that you're about to hear, but when I finished that and I went to go check my phone, I had seen that there was yet another aviation crash that has happened. It took place on the Moose Fire. The sheriff's office up in Idaho has confirmed this with the media up there. I do not have all of the details. This just took place. But what I am hearing from the sheriff's office and the reports that are coming out is that a Chinook went down in the Salmon River on the Moose Fire. It was in on the dip. Something happened, and it crashed into the river. Again, I don't know all of the details. I'm being told someone was saved and that there was some fast work that was done to save this individual out of the river, and it sounds like one person is deceased. This all right after I recorded this next segment on all of the aviation mishaps that have been happening in wildfire. I'm hearing that there's a lot of folks that are shook up. Like I said, initial reports are that possibly Helco and maybe even a hotshot crew even went into the river after the crash to try and rescue these individuals, and one individual seems was saved, but one has perished. This will be the fourth fire aviation crash in the last week. It seems like we're on a bad run. I go through all the details of the helicopter crash that took place in New Mexico this week. Coming up here on this segment that I recorded earlier. And I go through all the details of how that went down. An individual survived that crash initially as well and was calling 911 to try to have folks come and rescue them. And those dispatch calls have been released by the Sheriff's Department as well. Prayers to everybody up on the Moose Fire, the families of this individual and individuals involved. It's horrible, horrible news. And I thought I'd just touch on it. The official report as of recording this isn't out yet, but again, the sheriff's office has confirmed this has happened. Over the last week, there has been what I would consider a high amount of aviation, accidents, crashes, close calls, Not only in the nation, but around the world, specifically when it comes to wildfire suppression operations. Over in Greece, just a week ago, there was an old Soviet helicopter, a Russian helicopter that was being operated on wildfires in Greece that was going out to the sea for a bucket drop or a dip to return to the fire, and they crashed into the water. There were two survivors and two died. Then shortly after that, there was a fixed-wing aircraft flying in Portugal, making drops on the fires happening over there. And again, tragically, this aviation platform went down. The pilot did die in that case. On the Washburn fire, if you listen to the Wednesday podcast on our substack, On the Washburn fire, there was some close call incidents where Air Attack called out to dispatch and said, hey, when we're making our drops or we're going in for our drops, this pyrocumulus cloud is dropping large limbs from trees out of the sky and they're falling in between myself and the tanker. And then just a short time later, Some footage came out and some images came out of a tanker that actually had been struck by limbs off of these large pine trees out in the Yosemite National Park on the Washburn fire. Very, very close call. If that gets into a prop, if that gets into a jet engine, you have all sorts of problems. If you crack a windshield, now you have visibility issues. And then earlier this week, there was the tragedy of the Bernalillo County helicopter sheriff's department helicopter that crashed they were helping to do bucket work and suppression work on a fire out in new mexico their mission had completed they fueled up and they went to fly home back to where their home base was on their way back this helicopter crashed now there weren't a lot of details initially about this crash it had just been announced by the sheriff's department that hey this happened here are the folks that were involved in it and it was just that preliminary report that they gave but just the other day albuquerque news it's koat7 news station out of albuquerque got a hold of the dispatch conversations between this helicopter and dispatch and first responders trying to get to the crash scene. Now, I'm going to read some portions of this news report that KOAT-7 put out, and some of it is hard to listen to because you can humanize this event, and it's tragic, and it's sad. It really is. But what ended up happening is someone survived this crash, and they called 911 from the wreckage site, trying to dial in first responders of where their location was. Now, the article says this. One of the public safety personnel that was killed Saturday in the sheriff's helicopter that crashed had initially survived and was able to call 911 to direct first responders to his location. It is still unclear who called the San Miguel County 911, but we have obtained the recordings where dispatchers were directing emergency crews where to go. Quote, 27, in reference to the downed helicopter. This is what dispatch said over the emergency frequencies. We do have comms with one of the occupants. They are trapped inside the helicopter. Again, it's going to be off of Highway 84, possibly County Road B, as in boy, 27. The dispatch continued saying, report of four with the male subject is going to be the only one that we're aware of right now but he did state that there were four inside the helicopter. The person on the phone with 911 was trying to tell them exactly where they were and what had happened. A first responder has asked dispatch if the helicopter was on fire. Quote, they are advising that they saw dust on the initial contact with the ground, but they are advising that they did not see smoke or anything else at the time. This is what dispatch told the first responders. They did state there is a gas leak from the aircraft. Unknown how much at this time, but the reporting party did state the aircraft was full. According to dispatch recordings, more than 30 minutes had gone by and first responders were still having problems finding the wreckage in the cover of night. They were losing contact with this initial survivor. I have reporting party on the line, the dispatcher said. Sounds like he's trying to say south. South but his words aren't really making sense anymore. Sounds like he's trying to say South. The survivor who was on the phone reported he could hear sirens about 200 yards from his location, but he couldn't tell whose sirens they were. Sheridan Fire, quote, "'Can you do me a favor and turn and have all of your units turn off their sirens,' a first responder told to dispatch. "'I'm going to be,' and then there's inaudible,' Put on my siren and have the RP or reporting party get a hold of them and find out if they can hear it. So it's nighttime now. The individual on the phone is saying, hey, I can hear sirens off in the distance. It sounds like they're 200 yards away. You're kind of getting close to where we are. But there's so many folks responding with sirens on, which, of course, that's normal. There's nothing wrong with that. That's what happens but there were so many responding um, units with sirens on that dispatch didn't know who was closest. So they were trying to have people shut their sirens off and then squawk, squawk their sirens one at a time to see if the individual who was on the phone calling from this wreckage could hear the siren and then they could kind of pinpoint in more where this incident was. It's... I'm sure there was panic. I'm sure there was all sorts of confusion. It's nighttime now. Dispatch continued to the first responder saying, the subject on the line is in a lot of pain and disoriented. First responders were trying to get more information out of the survivor who asked what direction the helicopter was flying. Dispatch said, 10-4, the reporting party is no longer answering. He is on a public service phone The line is open, but he is not responding or saying anything. Moments later, first responders found the wreckage, but it was too late at this point in time. Be advised, they said over the radio, one of our units has located the downed aircraft. It's going to be 246 unit. Stand by for further updates. It was a state police officer who came upon the wreckage first, and over the radio, it was said that they are advising there is a total of four patients, two unresponsive, and two are 10-7, which is the code over the radio for people who have died or they are deceased. Moments after that, the medical units that were responding said that they were returning to their stations. This is a massive tragedy. You never want... To see these headlines. You don't want to see these headlines. Folks have reached out to me who were on the fire with these individuals and said, hey, I was at Hella Base right before they took off, or hey, they were helping our division with bucket work. And there's a lot of people who are shaken up over all of this. Prayers go out to the family and friends of these individuals, to that department, to the sheriff's department. Everybody's thoughts are with you. Don't think that this will be forgotten or thought of lightly. This is, quite frankly, it's a national tragedy. You you don't want to see these kind of things happen. All in all, there has been a lot of aviation mishaps over the last week. And that's just a heads up. That's just a watch out. That's just, hey, let's, let's you know, slow is smooth, smooth is fast. Let's double check some things. Let's check up on people. Let's make sure things are running the way they're supposed to. Because obviously you don't want to see any of this stuff continue. As we go on further into this fire season, our hopes are that you see less of this and, you know, no more of this. But it is the reality of the job. And you just hope more families don't have to get this news further along in the season. Again, prayers go out to these individuals, families, and friends, and may God bless every one of you.
1: I have traveled this year over all the United States, through the Alleghenies, the White Mountains, and the Catskills, the Rockies and the Bitterroot Mountains, the Cascades, the Coast Range, and the Sierras.
0: I have traveled, traveled, traveled To wrap up the show, we're going to talk about something that happened during the initial attack on the Washburn fire out in Yosemite National Park when this fire started in the grove of sequoias. I hadn't heard a lot about this wildfire today posted the link from the Fresno Bee that wrote an article on this. If you want good wildfire news out of California, it seems the Fresno Bee does a great job on this front. They covered a lot of the stuff that was happening in the Sierra National Forest, and they've kind of been hard-hitting when it comes to journalism in the wildfire world. When you see wildfire media and people who cover wildfire, there's a lot of kid-glove stuff, and I get that. I understand why they're doing that. Um, It's because they don't want to see... It's because they don't want to be seen as like coming down on first responders and things like that. But I think there's enough people who understand in the industry that that's not what's happening. We're trying to learn from these incidents, and sometimes bad management needs to get called out. Cheers to the Fresno Bee. They seem to do that every now and again. They put out an article this week discussing how when the Washburn fire initially happened, and it was only a couple acres— you know, 50 acres, 100 acres at this point in time, that there were some tankers that flew over the fire, fully loaded with retardant, trying to communicate with the fire and say, hey, we have loads of retardant that we can drop on this thing. Maybe, just maybe, we will be able to box this in and we can catch it small. Now, if you are not a wildland firefighter and specifically one with a radio or is high-level operations, Anybody on a hotshot crew should know this, smoke jumpers should know this, and supervisors on the ground should know this. When there's aircraft over your fire, and specifically over your head, you should know what piece of aviation equipment that is and if they're supposed to be there. And it sounds like these tankers were initially set for another fire. They had seen while flying, and maybe through some communication happening in the cockpit with maybe other resources hey, there's a fire in Yosemite National Park. Maybe we should divert and you can go contact people over there and see if they need you more than we need you. So these tankers started flying overhead. The public information officer on the Washburn fire made a statement saying, hey, When they initially came over our incident, we didn't have the air to ground frequencies uh, dialed in, so we were unable to talk to them. And that's the initial reason why we turned them down. Now in this Fresno Bee article, they discuss that the retardant was turned down and maybe if they accepted it, they could have caught this thing small. I have a lot of opinions on this stuff because it is kind of abnormal. But I do see the benefit in it and why it was done. So the public information officer said, hey, we don't have the radio frequencies for these aircraft. And for that reason, it's a watch out, so on and so forth. They were able to establish communication shortly after they were circling this fire. And again, they asked, we can drop this uh, retardant on your fire. And probably catch this thing small. Now, as we talked about in the intro, the Washburn Fire is almost 5,000 acres in some of the most pristine forest in California, if not the United States. The second thing that the public information officer on the Washburn Fire said was, hey, we were in the middle of evacuations. There was 450 people in the park at the time the fire started, and they were making sure everybody had got out. And we're concerned that, hey, if we have tankers drop a bunch of retardant, if you have public citizens get covered in retardant, their cars get covered in retardant, or heaven forbid, it's a a heavy drop and you put someone down, maybe crack windshields and some other stuff, you have all sorts of liability and lawsuits coming your way. Thirdly, the fire's report on why they didn't accept these tankers was... They were concerned about the amount of retardant that would possibly get into waterways if they dropped where it was needed most, which seemed to be near these drainages. Now, I've been in fire long enough to know that if you really need retardant, your fire managers and people in charge will basically just say, okay, drop it anyways, especially if you don't have like a secondary or tertiary plan or a ridge line further out that you can use. It's like, all right, well, mark it down. We'll write a report on it, but drop this retardant. Now, would it have made a difference? That's kind of the big question here. And the honest answer, I believe, is we don't know because we didn't get to observe it happen. When retardant was laid down on ridge lines in... Division Whiskey and others on this Washburn fire, over the course of 24 hours, it slowly ate through that retardant line, and they had to lay more stuff down and more stuff down. So if they initially had dropped with these tankers that volunteered to drop this stuff, it may have just eaten through that retardant line. If you remember seeing the images or footage coming out on this fire, it romped, for the first 24 hours it put up a massive column and it was getting after it so would if it made a difference i'm now leaning towards probably not but we don't know ultimately it kind of put some people in some tough spots i understand that these pilots were tr- they were doing the right thing and trying to do the right thing they knew the fire that they were ordered to didn't need them Another thing is tankers can't land with a full load. It's too heavy. You'll shatter your landing gear and you'll crash on the runway if you try to land with a full load of water or retardant. So you got to punch that load off somewhere. So maybe they were like, hey, there's a new start. We'll hit it there. I'm not placing blame on anyone here. I'm just discussing the events that happened. The Fresno Bee article did continue on and discuss what we discussed about on the Substack last week on Wednesday's show about what is in this retardant, who runs the retardant world, and what sort of operations happen around this stuff. Talking about the phosphates that are in this retardant and all the other things. Like we said earlier on a different podcast, it's mostly fertilizer type retardants, and then there's Chloride or salt-based retardants, both not that great for waterways and vegetation. It's kind of a double-edged sword, you know? You can put out a fire, but we're either dumping salt or phosphates, you know, fertilizer on national forests. So all in all, they just kind of played this out as a, hey, here's the situation that happened, and... There needs to be a conversation about it. So that's what we're doing right now. There's plenty that can be learned from this. I'm sure that they will look at it once the fire is set and done and they'll have conversations about what went wrong, what could have we done better, and just kind of do that whole after action review or AAR about this incident if they haven't already. Fire managers may have already had these conversations about this. A very interesting scenario that took place over the Washburn fire when it first took off. If you're still up in Alaska, it's starting to really die down up there. A lot of the fires up there have slowed. They're doing backhaul. They're taking inventory of what's gone out into the tundra and taking account for everything that's been shotgunned across the state. But sooner than later, all the resources up in the big state of Alaska will be coming back south. For what the future holds, I think California by August is really going to be cooking. If you pay attention to the local news in California, they have starts every day. But they have so many resources that they're catching a lot of these things small. You'll have the 50-acre bombs, 100-acre bombs, 25-acre fires. And the amount of tankers they get on these things quickly has really kept these things small. However, Northern California is starting to warm up. Red flags are starting to pop up in that area. Oregon and Washington has started to get those red flags. They have fires now every day popping up. Region 1 and Region 4, that whole Rocky Mountain area, the Salt Lake area, Nevada... They have weather forecasts through the weekend that is just fire's wet dream. It's 35-mile-an-hour sustained winds, 10 degrees above average, dry lightning storms coming through. So look for Region 4 and Region 1 to really start going as well. If all of these things come together, you'll see that PL4 and PL5 very quickly nationwide. So be prepared for that. It's going to be a dirty August, but you know what to do. Stay hydrated, stretch Check in on your homies, see how they're doing Eat some good food because those quality calories count Hey, on R&R, get yourself a massage Maybe think about that That feels good, it's good for the body and the head And when the sun comes up And you gotta get up Remember you gotta get it done